0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right, folks, over the next two weeks here, we are about to go very deep into the world of ski boots. In part one, which you are about to hear, I'm going to be talking with Matt Manzer, who is the product manager of Atomic Ski Boots, about the various plastics used to make ski boots. And then next week in part two, Matt and I will wade into the very murky waters of flex patterns. And as you will see, that is a much weirder and more complicated topic than you might think. And one very important note here, I promise that you are going to want to check out our show notes to this episode on the website because they function as a very useful reference guide to the topics that Matt and I are going to be discussing here. You can find those notes on the navigation bar of our website, either under the podcast tab, just go to gear 30, of course, or listed on the navigation bar under reviews, and you then just click the word reviews then go to the drop-down menu where you can check out all of our Gear 101 articles, including these expanded notes to this particular episode. And on that note, it is now time to jump down the rabbit hole and hopefully get a whole lot clearer about the funny-looking plastic footwear that we all use to go skiing. Matt Manzer, how are you? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing well. And where are you currently?
1: I am currently sitting in my apartment in
0: Austria. Okay. So it's been about a year and a half since you and I last sat down for one of these conversations. Uh, Are you currently in the same apartment that you were a year and a half ago? Actually, yes. Okay. Same room, same apartment. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Some things change, some things stay stay the same. So uh, over this last year and a half... What is sort of the primary thing or area that you have been spending the time your time learning about or learning the most about?
1: Yeah, hopefully I've gotten a little bit smarter and wiser <laughs> over that year and a half. That's remains to be seen, but I like to think that's moving in the right direction. <laughs> you know, one of the things when you when we make ski boots, it's about a 21 month process from when a, from when the idea is drawn on a napkin in a bar until it kind of reaches the retail floor. It's almost two years to bring that idea to life. And since we last talked, we've been doing a couple things. Like we have a lot of success in racing. Our ultra-extended boot has been going off really well. And our kind of normal Hawk series is doing well. And all these... I should say the Hawks boots in particular are known for being kind of lightweight, but still powerful in how they ski. And so we're always kind of trying to analyze everything we can about the boots we've made and how to make them better for the next generation. Like what can we learn about how they're flexing, how they're fitting, um, durability points, you know, all these things, and just trying to roll that all into the next evolution of, of the product. So, boots tend to have about a five-year life cycle, just kind of managing, paying off the molds and all that stuff. So, you can kind of think when a boot is launched in five years, you'll get version two of it, or something better, at least, will come. So, we have that kind of life cycle management to kind of work around. So, to make an old boot more evolved, more betterer, and then maybe also something new comes along that we want to do and trying to juggle all of those things. But to get back to your question specifically, we've been trying to really dive deep onto what makes race boots better. That's gonna be something that's at the heart of the atomic brand for sure. As well as how do we take lightweight boots to the next generation of better fit, better flex, better skiing performance.
0: That all sounds good because we're going to be talking about a lot of that stuff here. So I'm glad this is. Uh, thanks for taking the last year and a half to uh, work on that. To you know, for the sake of making this conversation better. It's it's all for the podcast. Appreciate that. It's all for the pod. <laughs> um, this is going to be. I was about to say real fun, but let's be honest, it's going to be a real nerdy topic to get into. But I think it's a really misunderstood topic is that of plastics, and so for everybody who is ready to learn a bit more about this, you know, when you shove your foot into a ski boot, what material you're actually shoving your foot into. I think that's an area where there's still quite a bit of confusion and uh, lack of clarity. And so I'm hoping you can educate and clarify some things for us on the plastics materials front.
1: For sure. This is a topic that always comes up whenever I'm touring around the world, giving shop clinics to kids or talking to, you know, even atomic employees that want to know more about what we're doing on the R&D side of things. Um, Plastics is uh, an ever-growing topic. You know, I think ski boots have been obsessed with geometry the last few years, and especially since boots have becoming lighter there's a whole lot of confusion as to what makes a boot lighter. Is it the plastic itself? Is it the actual thickness of the plastic? And a combination of the two a lot of the times. Um, but for sure plastics, the actual material itself will play a huge role in how the boot flexes, how the boot feels on your foot from a damping perspective from shock absorption, as well as if you're a boot fitter, you really want to be aware of what plastics you're working on, you know, what plastics are good to stretch and grind versus ones you kind of want to stay away from. Uh, all that stuff is important. And there's a lot of confusion from the industry side, um, mainly because a lot of brands sometimes can be afraid to open this can of worms. Um, but I think it's pretty important. Cool. Let's go. The The floor is yours. Okay. When we talk about ski boot plastics, there are, like, generally speaking, three plastic families that the whole industry tends to pull from. And I say general because there's some, for sure, niche plastics that maybe some brand is really excited about that they're using that nobody else is. But for the most part, you could kind of boil down the plastics that the industry is using into three little camps. And the main plastic that a lot of ski boots are made from is called polyurethane. And that typically is abbreviated with PU. And that'll be the plastic that we'll probably spend the most talking about, because that's at least for Atomic, what we make most of our, our ski boots out of is PU. And within PU, there are hundreds of different kinds that you could pick from. You know, if you're a ski boot manufacturer and you're deciding what to make the next super wow boot out of, even if you narrow it down to PU, there's everything from economy grade all the way up to NASA rocket fuel type stuff. So by saying PU, it tends to narrow it, but it's also not exactly helpful. So you're
0: you're saying there's there's still a wild variation.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Like if you were to, if you were to just say Oh, let's put some gasoline in the car. Well, what kind of gas are you going to use? There's a huge spectrum that that could could be. But polyurethane is kind of like the the go-to plastic that most everybody wants to make their ski boots out of uh, when cost is not an option, for example. Um, so, major first major family will be polyurethane. Uh, second major family tends to be least what, what I would call polypropylene and this is abbreviated typically with PP. and this kind of plastic is usually reserved for kind of the lower end um, like kids' boots or entry level price point type stuff. And we'll dive deeper into each of these, but that's kind of the, the basic gist of PP polypropylene plastic. And then the third family, is polyamide the abbreviated pa and this is kind of like the lighter weight touring plastic that people often tend to call grillamid and while that's true grillamid is a specific brand within the polyamid classification like there's an actual factory that owns the name of grillamid so we can talk about how that's kind of like the kleenex effect of tissues you know but basically polyurethane plastic Polypropylene plastic and polyamide plastic are the three basic families that ski boots tend to be made out of. So you already said there's
0: a very broad range of plastics that fall under the polyurethane or PU label. Would that also go for polypropylene and polyamide? Yes. Yes. Okay, so wide ranges here. So it's just, if we're really trying to understand what we're purchasing or thinking about purchasing, it's just not enough to be able to walk in and be like, oh, yeah, I don't know, I tend to like PU boots or grillamid boots. It's like, cool, you can say that stuff, but that's just not enough to actually be making any kind of a judge, a, a legitimate judgment claim.
1: Uh, yeah. Yes and no. Like it would, it would for sure help you to know which boot is PU or which part of your boot is PU versus PP. There are some general truths to to those three families, but like you said, within that, just because a boot is PU, it doesn't mean your boot's going to be super progressive and powerful. Uh, or just like if you say all oh, my boots grilamid, that means it's going to be less durable or something like that. So there there are some kind of general statements we can attach to these plastics, but then some that just don't make a lot of sense at the same time. And so I know
0: that talking to all of you different boot makers at different companies, that price points are surprisingly impactful. If we're getting to the cheapest stuff out there, And I don't mean that even in a pejorative sense. Are those, those are most commonly being made of one of these three different plastics? Yes,
1: typically a PP plastic. Part of my job is to make awesome, cool, super fun boots. But at the same time, we do work at a business and we have to make every boot profitable. Um, So part of my job, uh, how I view part of my job is I need to treat every model we make like its own little business. you know. In order for the whole Atomic boot range to be successful, that means I have to make every element within that a successful little business. And it's super... I mean, if we only made super high-end products, that'd be like the easiest job in the world, you know? Um, the real hard stuff is when you want to make a ski boot for 199 euros, still profitable for the brand that makes it um, without... Delivering crap at the end of the day, um, so that's that's a really hard line to walk, and sometimes we just say, you know what, we're not, we don't want to make a a 100 euro ski boot. That's just not our business model, and that's something Atomic has said probably seven eight years ago. It's like you know we're not going to play that game. We'd rather focus on kind of mid to high end, generally speaking, and uh, where we can really make. A product that we're proud to use, proud that people want to buy, and that they'll want to talk to their friends about, you know. Um, But at a certain point, you know, there is a price point of, let's just say, €2.99 and going to €3.59, even though it's only €60 that separates that, there's some really big decisions that have to be made as to what kind of plastic we use, what kind of liner we specify, you know, like, even down to how many print colors we use, you know? Um, Things that just, you take it for granted, but all these little things add up, and they just amount to a a cost at the end of the day. And we have to make the right decision to make sure that, one, we make a kick-ass product, and then two, it makes sense as a business step at the same time. And so all three of these plastics, to come back to your question um for sure have a home within the atomic range and they are you know definitely sought after for sometimes their commercial need but also and more so their their performance that they give to the end user or well, first let's start with the pp plastics cuz we don't we don't really use them so we can kind of talk about that in a in a quick and easy way so polypropylene plastic um i would also lump There's also plastics like polyethylene, uh, polyolefin, all these different plastics come from different suppliers sometimes, but they're all relatively, you could lump those three into the, the PP polypropylene moniker because they behave in a very similar way. And the PP plastics are generally lower end plastics that we will use in our kids' boots, for example. Or first price point stuff so polypropylene plastic is great because it's cost-effective it also has some really cool benefits in that it's very light it has the same specific weight as polyamide plastic so if you had like a chunk of PP plastic on the table and a chunk of the same volume of polyamide plastic they're gonna weigh very similarly so Making a lightweight ski boot, sometimes brands will make it out of PP plastic to save some money because it delivers the same end weight at the end of the day. It's also very temperature stable. So when you have a boot at room temperature versus minus 20 degrees Celsius, polypropylene plastic tends to behave the, the same way or not have a giant change within that temperature range. The downsides to this plastic is it's not super durable. So it scratches and chips really easily. Um, It's not very boot fit friendly. So for little boot fitters out there trying to, if they've ever heated up a polypropylene boot, put it on the boot press, you can really melt it and and dent it pretty easily. Uh, It also doesn't grind really well. It tends to kind of, instead of dusting, like if you grind a PU boot, it'll grind super smoothly and it'll dust and flake away. Whereas polypropylene plastic, if you grind it, it just tends to melt and pool in this little collection. So if you don't know what kind of plastic you're about to work on and you put the heat gun to it, you can melt it pretty quickly. Or you can grind it and it just turns out like crap. So for the boot fitters out there, knowing when a boot is PP plastic versus PU is very helpful for you. And then the probably the last con for this plastic is it's not very progressive. It has a very linear feel to it. So when we start talking about flex in a little bit of the conversation, if you are searching for that perfect progressive flex curve that is like supple off the top, it gets it ramps up and becomes steeper or stiffer towards the end. Polypropylene plastics kind of feel the same from start to be, start to end. You know, there's not a big ramp up to them. So the more you put into it, it feels like it's not going anywhere. So that's why we would never use it on a high-end ski boot. It just isn't going to ski as well as you'd want it to.
0: When we're talking about temperature stability, so it, a boot that's going to feel the same at a you know pretty warm temperature versus a very cold temperature, are you saying as a generalization polypropylene will win over polyurethane or polyamide?
1: So polypropylene is, has a, is more temperature stable than PU in general. I'll, we'll talk about a PU that is even better. Um, but in general, PU is not temperature stable. And if anybody skied um, a race boot, for example, at minus 20 degrees Celsius, you know, that thing is not coming off your foot very easily. (laughs) Um, So that's what we mean. It'll stiffen a lot in the cold and it'll soften more when it gets warm out. And so polypropylene is not as affected by changes in temperature that much. So it's got some cool things going for it. It's light, it's temperature stable, but it tends to be, those, those pros tend to be overshadowed by the fact that it has not so great durability um, it's not boot-fit friendly and it doesn't have the, the high-end flex characteristics that good skiers are looking for. Yeah, from Atomic side, that just means we put it into the kids' boots. You know, when you're trying to find a, a little boot for toddlers and stuff, but they don't aren't really caring much about progressive flex uh, or boot-fitting needs, it also helps to get to those lower price points that kids' boots tend to live at. So for us, the adult range... Uh, for almost, I would say, 99% of Atomics ski boots in the alpine world, not the touring world, will be made of some kind of PU plastic, some type of polyurethane. And as we kind of mentioned, polyurethanes um, have a, a, a very wide spectrum that they're available in. One of the cool things we do with polyurethane is... This may be a long tangent, but I think it's pretty cool. Whenever the factory turns on in the morning and they start to heat up the injection presses and start to make a ski boot, you know, the first 15, 20 ski boots that they try to make don't look like ski boots. Like if they're injecting a lower shell that morning, the molds are a little too cold, the plastic isn't flowing through the mold the proper way. So you kind of you don't get a completely molded shell, injected shell. It looks deformed, incomplete, and instead of throwing it into the river or into the ocean, uh, we recycle it. We we chop it back up uh, and remelt it again, and so we have a a type of polyurethane that we call recycled PU, and. This is a probably about 20%, maybe 30% of our ski boots are made of recycled plastic, which is pretty fun. Because you're just gonna have this natural byproduct from when the molds aren't to their optimum operating temperature, they need to be really warm. And so the first, the first boots that you try to make just have to get, they're, they're garbage. You, you could never make a ski boot from them. So instead of turning them into garbage, uh, we just we sort them into like their kind of more specific families within the p u world and chop it back up and reuse it again and You could make uh in in practice, not just theory a one hundred percent recycled ski boot shell and cuff. The downside to doing this is recycled plastic can only be black because there's multiple colors mixed in. Um, it really is all chopped up and mixed together and remelted back down. So, if you want to use recycled plastics um, at this stage in the game, they're only going to be black. And if you had 100% recycled material, the stiffest flex that we can make is about a 100. So, you would never see a a 130 flex boot. With a hundred percent recycled plastic, there has to be virgin material mixed in to get to these stiffer uh, flex indexes that you want to hit so recycled PU is great because it has all the benefits of PU, which we can go through in a second but it's a little bit cheaper because we've kind of already we've already paid for it once we're just using it again kind of thing so we will tend to make our entry level adult boots out of recycled PU. So instead of using cheaper PP plastics that aren't boot fit friendly, it's been a a big goal of ours to bring the boot fit characteristics all the way through our adult ranges as much as we can, so that the the boot fitters have a boot that they can stretch, they can grind, they can memory fit, even at the opening price points. There's going to be four types of PU that we'll talk about right now. The first is recycled, but before we go a little deeper there, let's let's kind of talk about what's good and what's bad about PU plastic. PU plastics are really sought after in the ski boot world, especially in kind of the mid to higher end ski boots because they've got a lot of good things going for them in terms of skiing performance, in terms of boot fitting. So, if a boot has to be stretched or ground this plastic behaves super well it reacts super well to those uh, torturous devices that boot fitters put them through um the plastic also is rather progressive in general it's not always going to be progressive i don't want to always blanket pu plastic as a progressive plastic but generally speaking um, when you're looking for having that smooth progressive flex with good damping characteristics pu tends to be the plastic that everybody will gravitate to uh, in the manufacturing world. Um, It's also very durable. So in terms of standing up to ski edges, scratching it, or rental abuse for rental operators, it's kind of the the go-to plastic if you want to have the longest life to your ski boot, generally speaking. The downsides to PU is it's by far the heaviest plastic that we'll talk about. So in terms of its specific weight, it will be about 25% heavier than PP plastic or PA plastic. And this whenever you pick up boots that are made from the various plastics and go, whoa, that's a lightweight boot, or wow, that's kind of heavy. The heavy ones tend to be in the PU, PU family. Well, you know
0: I hate heavy things, so uh that's, that's that's why I would never ski a PU ski boot.
1: Sure. <laughs> just, just kidding. Anyway, um PU is also as we kind of alluded to earlier, it's not very temperature stable. So you'll you'll often see racers like in the springtime before they get into the starting gate, they're packing snow around their boots to get them to to literally chill out and get stiffer. Conversely, in the middle of February, they're the same people that have to go wait by the fireplace in the lodge for 20 minutes before their boots can come off. Yeah, I know. I know that move. Yeah. So, so again, this uh, PU has some really good things going for it, and some not so awesome things going for it. And that'll that'll probably be like a, a general characteristic, you know, about all these plastics is there's going to be compromise built into them. We have yet to find the holy grail of plastics where you've got just nothing bad to say about it.
0: Well, tell you what, I'm giving you one and a half years more.
1: To to, crack that one? (laughs) To get there. So yeah,
0: put it on your calendar. Our next
1: conversation. Yeah. (laughs) No pressure. All right. So to summarize really quick, PU is awesome because it's good for boot fitters. It's got a progressive flex and it's really durable. Uh, the downsides to PU is it's heavy, it's not very temperature stable, and it is quite expensive. So if you are trying to make a boot on a budget, trying to make it in PU will be a challenge as a manufacturer. So if we kind of circle back to our recycled PU conversation, this is has a, a cool environmental story, which is honestly really helpful, I think. I don't know if most people know this, but ski boots are also recyclable. If you have an old ski boot, nine times out of ten, you can recycle it. You know, if you get rid of the fabric liner, the fabric power strap, take the metal buckles off. The metal is also, it's, it's aluminum or steel typically, so you could recycle that in metal recycling. And the plastic components of the cuff and the shell um, are also recyclable 99% of the time. So old ski boots, you can turn them into flower pots and whatever, we use them for different purposes, <laughs> or you can recycle them at the same time. Nice. Mm-hmm. Fun fact for the day. <laughs> it's just one of many that are coming our way. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be, I would say, kind of the, the entry into the PU world is the recycled PU. And when we want to talk about kind of One grade higher, we have a polyurethane that has like a sub-name called ester. So PU ester is often called polyester in the ski boot world. And some brands abbreviate this as PE plastic, which I think is a little unhelpful. Because normal PE plastics are polyethylenes. And they belong in the PP category. So PU esters, and I'll refer to them kind of as that as that name. I won't I won't call them polyesters. I'll call them PU esters. Um, this is kind of one one ratchet up from the recycled PU world. This is a, a super good option for kind of mid level boots, or kind of like you're starting to get into high end. Uh, boots like Junior Race, for example. So if you had like a a 90 flex Junior World Cup boot, you know, it'll be made of this type of plastic. It's a little bit cheaper than higher end PUs, but it still has kind of all the, the good characteristics of PU. So good boot fitting, progressive flex, good durability. The downsides to PU ester is that it doesn't have the ideal ski feel that super high-end athletes would look for. So if we made a boot for Marcel Hirscher out of P.U. Ester, he would take one run, take it off, and throw it back at me. It just it wouldn't have the rebound or damping characteristics that these super high-end athletes are very attuned to. But for the everyman intermediate to expert skier who is a good skier but maybe hasn't tested 10 boots in the last week it'll feel totally awesome you know it'll still be progressive flex very durable very boot fit friendly Um, but if you were to do some a b testing uh, between a pu ester boot and what is we'll talk about next pu ether you would feel it especially if you had them side by side on the same foot in the same hardness, you know, all, all their variables kind of similar. It's a small other point, but this is a plastic that's kind of best suited for solid colors. Um, it's not really a, a, a huge topic at the moment in the ski boot industry, because most things are solid colors. But five, six years ago, there was a super trend of making transparent boots, like transparent full clear or transparent red or green or something um if the goal is to have a transparent boot, you know from my end if I'm trying to talk to the designer here, I can't specify a PU ester plastic if the goal is to have a super transparent looking boot. It comes out a little too milky. It looks like something's wrong with it. But if you just use solid colors, it's totally fine. You would never notice it. So to summarize PU ester, it's kind of like that first stepping stone into like high-end PUs. But at the same time, it doesn't have the ideal characteristics um, that the super athletes would want to have in the, the feel of their boot. So the next boot or next plastic would be PU ether, poly ether. So you'll hear some brands talk about this as poly ether. I'll talk about it as PU ether, just so no one tries to abbreviate it as PE again. This is the gold standard in World Cup. And almost every 120, 130, or stiffer type boot, uh, especially in race boots, will be made from some type of uh, PU ether plastic. And then within this, there's a smorgasbord of options that are available, from plastics that have a faster rebound, a slower rebound, ones that are very temperature-stable, surprisingly. we'll talk about next but this tends to be the gold standard that every brand would love to use if price was just not an option this plastic is very expensive again it tends to be used in race boots or that 130 price point and up typically has everything going for it except that it's really expensive it's heavy and it's not temperature stable and this plastic can be Fully transparent, if that's the goal. So in its natural state, it's a crystal clear type plastic. Natural state sounds funny when you talk about plastics, but <laughs> when we get the pellets from the from the supplier, the plastic manufacturer, um, it looks like glass beads kind of thing. And so when you melt this down and if you don't add color to it, you would get a crystal clear looking boot. I want that boot.
0: <laughs> I, I'm thinking of like Wonder... Didn't Wonder Woman have like a invisible jet or something? It was like a totally transparent... It was probably made from PU ether. Right. Actually. And yeah. I'm like, I want the Wonder Woman ski boot. Can you... Could you whip that up for me? Like whatever. We Wonder could 30. probably make something happen. Awesome.
1: Well, this is... I mean, one of the things we do when we make a prototype, we either make it in black just so we know that when you make a color... In, a, in the ski boot world, side tangent number two: um, the pigment. Like I say, we're making a red ski boot. Um, the amount of red, which is called master badge, is the name of the dye, essentially the pigment that is used to turn the the plastic from clear to red, is about anywhere from two to five percent. So, if you have a, a ski boot, two or five percent of the plastic is is that pigment. And as you go from two to five percent, you'll get varying hues of red. Sometimes it's pink panther, sometimes it's cherry red. So the the more you go, the kind of a, um, will affect the intensity of that color. When we give boots to racers, they are very sensitive to this because if you have a master badge of let's just say 6%, something really high that would probably never ever be used, versus 2%, they tend to not like the 6% because there's just less plastic in it. There's too much color. So they can feel that effect on how the boot behaves when it when skiing. So too much color will affect in some way the boot's damping characteristics, its, its flex, its rebound, um that they may like or dislike so when we make a new color especially for racers it takes a long time to find a color that they are okay with that they're happy with so we'll we'll be one sticking with red for quite a while i think (laughs) given the headaches that this can run into
0: so wait a second what about my transparent boot so if i make you
1: a atomic redster in full transparent, an Atomic Redster, they're all 130 materials, for example, of the same exact family, but one is totally clear, one has the normal amount of red, one is black, one is, let's just say, white. And if you went and skied all of those boots, especially if you did A B testing left foot to right foot, I think you would feel a difference, you know, especially if depending what time of the year it is. If it's springtime, the black boot will for sure feel softer because the sunlight and the warmth will just affect it that much more.
0: And the transparent boot, is it, we can't, can we say like that's probably going to be the stiffest feeling? Well, it'll have its own feeling for sure. Its own feeling, not, but we can't say, we can't generalize to say it will definitely feel the most or the least X out of these group of transparent versus red versus black.
1: Yeah. Okay. It'll be kind of hard to narrow it. Well, to, to say one, one or the other. But if we lined them all up, we we could definitely make in store, like like room temperature. Just put it on and flex it like it's in a store type of test. Um, and you'd have different feels if you were paying it close enough attention. If you went skiing, they would feel differently on snow. If you were paying attention, this is getting really specific, okay. and you'd have to be a really—I would say you, your scruples have to be very fine-tuned—to also not at the same time convince yourself that you're feeling something different. Placebo effect, kind of kicking in. Matt, I'm a very principled reviewer,
0: and, yeah. and and I and I feel all the feels, so. I think guy you would here. be
1: well qualified to be one of the persons that could do this. Well, when I was a boot fitter, but yeah, before I worked for atomic, I was a boot fitter working at a shop in Vermont. I had a, a customer who was in all other aspects, completely sane, normal guy, <laughs> <laughs> but he was totally convinced that clearer ski boots, like if a boot was transparent, it was warmer because sunlight would come in and kind of have like a greenhouse effect in the boot. I like he it. He was totally convinced. And I, I couldn't argue with him. He's like, this is just warmer. So I'm like, okay, if, if, if you feel like that's a warmer boot. He's
0: like, dude, what color are greenhouses? Are they black? Are they red? Yeah, totally. <laughs> He's like, duh,
1: science. They're clear. Yeah, right. right? science. Right. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, every time he would come in for a new boot, he, he would purposely look at what was transparent and select from that.
0: There's one plastic I want to ask you about. I believe it's pronounced Desmopan. Mm-hmm.
1: So in the world of PUs, we have even, you know, we have those sub-segments of recycled or PU ether, PU ester, uh, or Truflex PU. If you go a level deeper, there are trade names to these plastics that various manufacturers will have. And one of the trade names... In the PU ether world, is Desmopan. This is a specific brand of plastic um, that is used pretty commonly uh, in the boot world. Um, it tends to be kind of a the go-to ether. The the PU ethers that are out there are usually a Desmopan, um, and then within Desmopan, they have tons of options cuz you got to remember these plastic companies they're not making plastics for the ski boot world we are like a grain of sand in the beach of business that they do and like they're they're making coatings for cables you know hundreds of thousands of kilometers of cable gets coated in plastic coffee machines or car bumpers vacuum cleaner parts you know stuff that just gets made in the billions of quantities and when when we atomic even though we're like the number the second largest ski boot producer we come knocking at their door for a plastic they're like oh god these guys come on it's like peanuts to them
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm pretty psyched to tell you that i just had a desmopan bumpers installed on my truck so uh
1: oh you're gonna have a super progressive flex to your bumpers (laughs) that's what i was going for (laughs) that's sick so yeah like desmopan you can get in just a wide variety of flavors of and they all have different characteristics so some of these versions of desmopan have a crazy slow rebound like you've If you can imagine like if you're getting into the cuff and you open the cuff up to the boot and it just slowly wraps back around the leg, you know, that's the kind of rebound I'm I'm talking about. And you get some that are crazy slow, some that are middle slow, and then some that are so fast you almost lose a finger. So you've got different rebound characteristics and damping characteristics and then you can have different hardnesses that you mix together to arrive at certain flex that you want to have. Um, so there's just a myriad of, of options that we test, uh, at a very nerdy level that would be way too much of a rabbit hole for your listeners would be so bored at that point. I think, um, if they're already not, <laughs> well, hopefully we, not, well, we ain't done but, yet. Uh, so, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Desmopan, backing up to that, is a, is a brand of plastic, the way Hawks is a brand of ski boot kind of thing. And it, it, it's a widely used. I would imagine every ski boot manufacturer has some type of Desmopan in their range somewhere, especially if they're talking race boots. Um, we will use it on race boots, and generally where ethers are used so if there's a 130 flex that's not true flex it's most likely some type of desmopan it's a hell of a name too like i want
0: to i want to start a i don't know twitter account that's going to be my username probably desmopan Desmopan. (laughs) yeah or i'm going to become a dj and uh, dj
1: desmopan (laughs) there there
0: you go yeah So many, so much, so much good can come from a discussion about plastics. right? Yep, new DJ names, Twitter handles.
1: It's all possible. <laughs> cool. Back on track. Where are we? Back on track. Uh, so PU ether, just to sum up, is kind of like the general golden child of uh, the ski boot world. <laughs> if there was no restriction on how expensive boots could be, I think brands would always use this plastic. There's just no reason not to if you if you aren't uh, worried about how expensive boots will be on the manufacturer side. And
0: are we talking about like twice as expensive, three times, or like you know fifty a fifty percent increase? Is, can you generalize that way?
1: Uh, like the PU ethers that we will use tend to be at least double the cost of the the next cheaper version of pu sometimes they're up to four times but that's that's rare Uh, but i would say doubles probably a good safe bet which when i'm building a ski boot and i look at what's called the bomb the bill of materials that we have when a plastic jumps by essentially two if i double it that that hurts sometimes Uh (laughs) you start getting angry phone calls yeah accounting is like what's going on with that one
0: you're like it's cool. It's this transparent boot I'm doing for Jonathan Ellsworth. Don't worry. It's
1: cool. We're doing we're doing a one off for Jonathan Ellsworth. It's it's gonna be cheap. Don't, <laughs> Don't worry. worry about yeah. it. We're gonna get the machine turned on for him. <laughs> um. So I would say most brands. Let's just I, I generally speaking, and if if I get this wrong, some brand's gonna hate me. But let's just say most brands tend to stop there with their PUs. There's nothing above that. Generally speaking, they haven't had a need for it. They haven't had the ability to make it, typically. But a couple of years ago, when we launched Hawks Ultra, we found with one of our plastic suppliers a special type of PU that has some really cool attributes to it. Um, that we've given the marketing name TrueFlex to this plastic. So, this is a plastic that we use in the Hawks Ultra world, the new versions of Hawks Prime, some of the extended boots, even some of the backland boots, because it's able to be injected in really thin wall thicknesses. And it also has some really cool properties, such as being very stable at a wide variety of temperatures, hence why we call it TrueFlex. So, Typical PUs stiffen by a factor of five. If you had just, like when when the BASF, for example, was one of our plastic suppliers, when they talk about temperature stability in their plastics, they've got kind of like a, a little chip-sized standard piece of plastic, like a little rectangle. And when they do their own in-house tests, um, they've got this PU, that PU, this PP, this PA, and they're giving all like the spec sheet of what's good and what's bad about the plastics. And the general stiffening factor of a normal PU ether is five. So on their little sample chip, from minus twenty to, to plus twenty degrees Celsius, the flex is changing by a factor of it's getting stiffer by a factor of five as it freezes. And this has a very tangible effect on your ski boot because we all know how a ski boot feels in store and then going skiing it feels differently. And this is due to the, the stiffening factor of the plastic. So normal PU has a stiffening factor of about 5. Our flex PU has a stiffening factor of 1.2. So that means it's, it's very stable from minus 20 to plus 20. And this is what we use um, in a lot of our higher end boots because it's also more expensive than PU ethers. So this is a very cost prohibitive plastic to try to bring down to lower price points. But we try to use it whenever we can because it has a really cool benefit to uh, the end user. And
0: you're, you're currently using this
1: in which line of boots or specific boots? Um, Hawks Ultra. Can only be made with this plastic that mold series is uh very is so thin and so specific that we can't use other plastics in this in the mold series. They just don't fill up the mold cavity properly. So we have to just we kind of eat it on the low end ultra boots a little bit, but we'll put it typically like in a men's range like prime Hawks prime 120 Hawks prime 130, ultra extended 120. Ultra Extended 100. Uh, We tend to call it out in the marketing. So if you go to the website, we try to label it. I'm 99% accurate. say they've made a mistake on the website. We call it out as TrueFlex PU, wherever we use it. Because it has all the great characteristics of PU. It's progressive. It's super durable. Um, It's also a little more moldable. So if anybody's ever, as a boot fitter, if you've ever stretched a Hawks Ultra or one of the new Hawks Prime boots, you'll notice that like wow these things mold crazy easily um, as well as they keep their shape a little better too they don't shrink back over time as much as other plastics would Um, but the downsides to these plastics is they're crazy expensive Uh, they're still heavy they still have the same specific weight as other PUs despite them being used on our lightweight boots which we'll talk about next and they're incredibly hard to color so when we first started having these boots a lot of our boot range was black and white (laughs) and we're to get a new color developed with these plastics takes the better part of a year to get right it's really annoying (laughs) um so this is one of the the points we were talking about earlier there's just no perfect plastic yet they're all going to have some kind of compromise whether it's just they're crazy expensive or they can't be colored right or they're just not durable enough. There's always a little bit of give-and-take to these materials, so to speak. And this might be a good time to kind of talk about one point about like Hawks Ultra. Um, When Hawks Ultra came out and it it still is about 25 percent lighter than a normal Alpine ski boot, everybody thought we were using lighter weight plastics to arrive at this lightweight, when in reality, it's the same exact, the plastic we use in Hawks Ultra has the same specific weight as the plastic that we use in Redster World Cup. Wait a second. Say that again. (laughs) (laughs) So the specific weight of the plastic that we use in Hawks Ultra, which for reference is about 1.7 kilos per boot, that plastic weighs the same from a specific weight as the same plastic that we use in Redster World Cup that one boot weighs 2.3 kilos. So the plastics themselves in Hawks Ultra for example are not lighter than what we use in World Cup. How we arrive at the weight of Hawks Ultra is by super geeking out on how thin to make the boot in select areas, and then also where it has to be thick in other areas so that it still skis properly. And if you then take that, what we call pro-light, how to make a boot light where it can be but still strong and supportive where it must be, if you take that same kind of blueprint and then use lighter weight plastics, you get to where we're at with Hawks Ultra Extended. that 130 flex boot is right around 1.4 kilos instead of 1.7. So when you see a boot and you see that it's on the lighter side of the spectrum, you can't assume that it's made of lightweight plastic. It could be made of heavy plastic, just made in a more efficient way, i.e. thinner. Thinner where it can be. If you took... Let's just say like a, a Redster World Cup, which has an average wall thickness of like nine millimeters average, and you all of a sudden made that boot two millimeters everywhere, you'd have like the most noodly feeling boot possible. So there there need there are key zones in the lower shell and in the cuff where you really need to be careful where how thin you go with it when stability and progressive flex are still a a topic you want to address and the plastics that are associated with doing that can be tricky to figure out and so a boot like ultra or prime and especially the high-end will be using this kind of uh, the true flex PU and so just to recap on that it's super temperature stable it's very moldable, has a great progressive flex still durable the downsides to it, it's really expensive, super expensive. Uh, it's not light. So if the goal is to make really, really light boots, this won't be the first thing you'll gravitate to. And it's really hard to color. So if you want them to have a transparent Ultra 130, that'll be tough to do for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Damn it. And then... Um, you know, that'll probably be the end of the PU discussion. And we can kind of just quickly summarize. There's a recycled PU that we use. We've got uh, kind of a mid-level PU ester that we'll use kind of a mid, mid to high-end boots, especially like junior race, for example. And then at the normal high end of the PU world is PU ether. That's where all the good World Cup boots and 130s tend to be made out of. And then uniquely... For atomic, we have a PU called Trueflex PU that is uh, the hallmark of that is it's really temperature stable. And the last component to the plastic trifecta <laughs> um, are the polyamids. And polyamid plastic is, if you had to associate it with one thing, it's probably touring boots. So this is what... Generally, all Touring Boots will be made out of our PA plastics and they, they select these plastics mainly for their low weight. They're about 25% lighter than typical PUs. So if you wanted to drop the weight of a product really quickly, make it out of PA and you'll get there. It's also got good characteristics for boot fitting. You can stretch it, you can grind it, you can memory fit it. Um, to some degree, there's some exceptions there. Uh, but the ones that we use at atomic are, are very boot fit friendly. Uh, it has a progressive flex, but it tends to be more on the springy side of things. So if you look to have the smoothest damp feel and ride characteristic to your ski boot, a PA boot is probably not going to be at the top of your list. Generally speaking, Um, it does have a bit more of that springy, like high energy, like lots of rebound feel to it. So if you like to kind of get shot from turn to turn and kind of feel like you're on a little bit of a springboard, um, that's the kind of feel you'll have generally out of that plastic. Um, It's also very durable, generally. Uh, There's some versions that you got to be careful with. Um, but for the most part, the ones we've got are, I would say, on, on par with most PUs in terms of durability. Um, it's also very temperature stable. It's not going to be as good as our Flex, but super close. And I think if anybody's had a, a, a Touring Boot or like a Hawks Ultra extended, you kind of feel this aspect to it when it's super cold or super warm. The downsides to a PA plastic is you are now in the most expensive category of plastics possible. Grilamid is a specific brand within PA plastics. It would be a mistake to label all PAs as Grilamid, but I think the industry is guilty of doing this kind of thing. Um, everybody just assumes it's Grilamid when it could be a different type of PA, like different brands like manufacturers like Bayer or BASF have their own kind of name for their PA, which is just as awesome, just made by the Germans instead of the Swiss. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But PA plastics are about four times as expensive as the most expensive PU. Wow. So you will never, at least in this day and age, you're never really going to see price point oriented PA boots. And it's kind of the reason touring boots live in this incredibly expensive echelon of of price points. Um, it's not that the brands are super greedy and they're trying to steal all your money. It's just that this plastic is crazy expensive to use. Um, it's also best suited for solid colors. So again, if you want to have your crystal clear transparent boot, it's probably not going to be a PA. Um, this stuff comes out really milky and if anybody remembers a, a, an atomic ski boot from six, seven, eight years ago called the Renew, it was a kind of a, a, a carbon neutral gold ski boot to make. Like everything was recycled. The plastics were made of a special PA. Um, there was no dyes in the plastic. Um, it was a crazy looking, crazy looking ski boot kind of ahead of its time um it looked like it was made of snot to be honest it just looked so gross <laughs> but some people loved the look of it because it was just so far out there um if you don't color pa plastics or p plastics you wish you did <laughs> okay
0: now wait a second you just slipped in t- together pa and PBAX. yep
1: okay that's not 100 percent fair but they ch- they will generally get lumped together if you just look at what, at least what's in touring boots, some brands like to use p plastics. Some brands like to use grillamids or vestamids or ultramids. They're pulling from the same general type of menu there. There's differences between PAs and P-backs for sure, but generally speaking, just so we don't go down the rabbit hole and get mm-hmm. crazy lost... Some brands will hate me for saying this, but we can put P backs and PAs in the same group. Generally, we no longer use P in our boots, only because they're a little bit harder to boot fit. If anybody's tried to stretch a P backs boot for some reason that just it doesn't like to hold a punch, or it takes way too much effort to get it to move just a little bit, and you kind of get freaked out, you're going to crack it or something. The plastic itself is totally awesome. Lots of brands have success with it. We just like to use um or other PAs instead. And yeah, just to quickly sum up a PA plastic. It's mainly used because it's super light, but it still has good boot fitting characteristics. Uh, it still has a r- relatively good progressive flex. It's just going to be a progressive flex on the springier side of the equation. And it's very temperature-stable. Downsides to it, or is it just crazy expensive?
0: And looks like snot. And looks like snot in its raw state. I mean, potentially a pro, to, you know.
1: If you're into snot, you would like it. Yeah, yeah. sick.
0: Well done. Way to Way to march us through the plastics. Let's talk about how to tell what your boot is made of.
1: Yeah. So let's just say you're not sitting at the internets. You don't have a brand's catalog in front of you. Um, So you don't really have the brand's information of what the boot is made out of at hand. Normally, not all the time, but I'm seeing more brands do this, which is good. Uh, It's something that Atomic does on all of our ski boots. On any injected part, whether it's a lower shell, on the cuff, um, on the plastic grip pad, for example, you will see a little stamp in the plastic and there's it's usually like a with atomic at least it's kind of a circular shape and you've got those sometimes all three of those abbreviations PU PP or PA and the plastic we've selected for that model there'll be an arrow pointing to the plastic that is used so if you're a boot fitter and you're wondering, you know, before I heat this up, am I gonna do something bad to the boot or should I not grind it? If you take the liner out of the boot and you have to look at each plastic element. So if you look at the cuff, you wanna look at the shell as well. So if you're just looking at the cuff doesn't tell you everything about the entire boot, just the plastic element that you're looking at. So because if you don't know, Cuffs are made separately from lower shells. They come out of different molds and often at different times. They're not made in the same day. So it's really helpful from at the factory level to know which cuff is which before it gets printed and labeled sometimes, you know. So they got a bunch of black cuffs lying around. Which one's which? It's helpful to look at the cuff stamp and say, oh, it's a PA cuff or a PU cuff. So... This is helpful, one, for boot fitters, um, but also for the consumers that are out there because there, there is a lot of misinformation or mistaken information. I don't want to say brands are always lying when they're mistaken, but they're just, sometimes it's an honest mistake they've made. They've named the plastic a certain name or promised that it was a certain type of plastic when it ends up not being that plastic. And a good way to check this is to always look at the cuff stamp or the shell stamp and see what arrow is indicating what plastic on the inside.
0: Or if they're really trying to lie and they, so they lie in their marketing copy, you should check to see if they've like scribbled out or like, you know, crossed out an arrow and then just drew in an arrow to the, to the, (laughs) to the type that lines up with their marketing copy. That would be another tell.
1: Yeah. Usually they haven't gone that far to like cross out a chip away the, the stamp that's in there. Um, but it would be a nice, you could, you can see which brands are telling the truth and which ones aren't by, by doing this uh, little, little step. I like it. And yeah. This is going to get me into trouble with some people I know, but um, that's
0: okay. We're here. It just, just a, is what it is. This is a safe space, though, <laughs> given that you're in, in, given that you're in Austria and I'm just here in Crested Butte. I really don't know how I can guarantee this is a safe space. But yeah, there, there's
1: no other brands in Austria, are there? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: but uh, I but I'm going to be wishing you well. Thank you. So you have at least that going for you. Yeah. No, I like it, and it's important. And frankly, this is just one of those things where it's like, look. If we are informing consumers out there, then maybe this becomes another way where companies are like, whoops, I guess we maybe can't get away with what we used to get away with. True. That strikes me as a very good thing. So you're a hero. Think of yourself as a hero.
1: Hopefully I don't die a martyr.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) A hero, hopefully not a martyr.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, But in all honesty, that does not happen a lot. To be fair, honestly, most brands are really honest about this um sometimes brands just make a mistake it's it's in the the catalog wrong or they've they've changed something by the time the you know the catalogs are made so far in advance that you know you hear this all the time with like bike reviews and sometimes ski reviews like oh I'm on a pre production model. This is actually a really this is a real thing <laughs> and um especially when you're trying to test. Or review something new and exciting, and this this will never not happen. Um, that pre-production models are different from serial production sometimes, just because when at least in ski boots there there's such a long lead time um, to produce these things. So like when when Blister gets sent a a test boot in February, for example, those boots were ordered in. August and between August and February, things can definitely change, and hopefully for the better. So sometimes a pre-production boot is different from serial production, and you'll want to know that for one. But two, that also means the the catalog is also done quite early. Um, so sometimes the catalog is floating around in the shop or something, but the boot says something different. It doesn't mean the brand is lying. It just means the catalog was made before the boot. So I don't want to make it seem like brands are deceitful all the time or something. When you have these discrepancies, sometimes they're just honest changes.
0: You're you're just really trying not to end up a martyr. Well, it's
1: just true at the end of the day, you know, like it'll happen to us, to be honest. You know, like sometimes things change and I got to cover my own butt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. But in general, you could do this test at home, take your liner out. Uh, not every brand does this, so don't be surprised if you don't see it um, sometimes. But if you had a an Atomic boot or Salmon, for example, I know does this too, because we're produced in the same factory, we'll have those cuff stamps and you can you can check it out. And it's something we've taken a lot of effort to, in our marketing, like on our website, for example, is to call out at least the general category of plastic. Like we'll always call out the cuff and the shell as PP, PU, or PA slash grillamid if we're using a specific trade name.
0: Okay. That is where we are going to bring to a close part one of our conversation with Matt Manzer. And again, you should definitely head over to the Blister website to check out the much expanded show notes to this episode. Those notes are basically a written out Gear 101 article on the topics that we've covered here. And then next week, we'll be airing part two of my conversation with Matt, and we're going to be focusing on the flex patterns of ski boots. And again, that is a much weirder and more complicated topic than you might think. And if you are glad to have a place to come to really get into the weeds and learn a thing or two about your gear, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or review in iTunes, and also spread the word to your gearhead friends. Thanks everybody, please be safe out there, and we will talk to you again next week.